So week on week, we have been seeing how the amount of venture capital which startups are raising in this atmosphere has been declining. But today on 31st of July as the final day of the month, it kind of seems like instead of funding winter, we are now moving into a phase of funding hibernation. The total amount of venture funding that went into the ecosystem last week was less than $100 million. Now that's a first. But having said that, this also gave us ample amount of time to check out what are the other developments that's happening and let me tell you there is a lot. So sit back and enjoy the show and welcome to the Startup Operators Weekly Roundup where we will be taking you through the biggest developments from the Indian startup ecosystem. If you're new to the podcast, please do subscribe and share it with folks you think that will enjoy the show. Now Roshan, of course, fundings have uh, reached all times low but there is so much more happening, right? There's the yeah. Commonwealth, there is uh, the news around Russia. So yeah. what's your take on that? No, so we started covering funding as just an excuse to talk about companies, talk about sectors, industries that are, you know, seeing disruption, right? And the goal really was not to do like a Bloomberg report in terms of, you know, uh, how much funding was raised every week, but somehow I think we defaulted to that. But nevertheless, I mean, there's just been so much happening on the policy side of things, um, you know, geopolitics and whatnot. Last week, for example, we had the Commonwealth Games. Did you catch it? Really? I did not know it was on. Shame on you. Really. By the way, Mirabai Chanu won the gold in the uh, weightlifting category, uh, wow. 49 kilo weightlifting category. And she lifted 80 something kilos, man, in the snatch competition, I think. And then there's a clean and jerk where she did about 100 plus kilos. I mean, it was just so clean, actually. I mean, no pun intended, <laughs> but yeah, <laughs> it was it was amazing. So, yeah, I don't think you should mess with Indian women. So that was fun. Last week, I think the Defense uh, Ministry also allocated about 28,000 crores for purchasing indigenous uh, equipment. And this is part of this whole Defense Acquisition Council that's been formed about a couple of years back when, you know, the Prime Minister gave a call for Atmanirbhar Bharat, when we decided to indigenize a lot of our weapon systems, military equipment and so on. And if you think about it, India spends about $76 billion or so every year uh, on defense, which is pretty damn high. Hmm. Right, we're one of, one of the largest importers of defense, and we need to figure a way to kind of indigenize this. Right, I mean, we're procuring everything from outside, whether it's Russia or Israel. What the Defense Acquisition Council came up with in the beginning was a plan to make sure that we either buy Indian or we develop in India, or you know, we figure a way to get these global companies to start building ecosystems here, right? So maybe having manufacturing plants, jobs, IP transfer and so on, which I think is absolutely necessary, you know. We've seen how sovereignty could be threatened, right, mm. with uh, buying, you know, equipment from outside and so on. I mean, look at what's happening with Russia right now, right? Yeah, yeah. So it's very important that we have a plan to indigenize and yeah, I mean, definitely check out the Defense Acquisition Council and, uh, you know, their initiatives as well. I, I also feel that you know, startups can benefit a great deal from this, right? I mean, we've spoken to uh, Ankit of Idea Forge, we've spoken to Vipul of Ara One Man Systems, and you know, they've also been working with the government as well, right, for drones and stuff. And there's plenty of people working on imaging. Last week, I also heard about this company that's manufacturing night vision goggles for the Northern Command and so on. And uh, it's phenomenal. It's a guy who graduated from an Ivy League uh, university, came back to India and started this uh, ground up, right? I mean, so I feel like there's plenty of talent in India and literally, you know, with some of this push by the defense ministry, you know, every dorm room in IIT Madras <laughs> or IIT Bombay or elsewhere could turn into an incubator for, for building all of this uh, really um, solid IP, I would say. Yeah, and even I think it was uh, in this year's union budget also it was announced that a portion of the entire defense procurement will happen from the start from startup ecosystem. Yeah, yeah. 
no they have a very sorted plan in terms of build in india buy from india and, and so on right i mean think about it right? i mean there's something that should have happened ages and ages ago like a lot of things in india you wonder why it's so broken i mean we have the case of these mig 21s crashing hmm. every once in a while i mean even last week i mean unfortunately a couple of pilots died we have the uh, tejas obviously but it's in short supply and it doesn't you know it it won't really support all of the regiments that we have but i feel like we need to get started on that front and and to that end i think the defense acquisition council uh, headed by the raksha mantri and so on right i mean is 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 a fantastic move and in other interesting news i don't know if you heard about it so russia is pulling out of the international space station and i think it would be a good time for elon to make some pull out jokes <laughs> <laughs> also last week russia said that they will pull out of the international space station by 2024 and it's pretty unfortunate you know i mean the international space station was a kind of a milestone moment if you consider 40 years back i mean we had the cold war and the space race and all of that so this kind of cooperation between usa russia Canada, Japan, a few other countries, you know, was to advance this frontier of science, right? But I suppose, you know, geopolitical tensions, the fact that they've been sanctioned was going to percolate to all spheres in that sense. So yeah, plenty has happened. Yeah, as, as even like see. not Russia, but even in Indonesia, right? It's pretty absurd that there were certain companies over there that were operating and making money without being even registered with the government, right? And as a result, uh, many companies like Team, Epic Games, Origin and others, they're currently banned in the country. Resulting from that, the Indonesian government has made it a requirement that all digital companies who fail to register with them wouldn't get a place in the whitelist. And as it turns out, there are many of companies operating in that fashion. So like how in India we had these 29 app bans right mm. back in 2020 the similar thing going on in indonesia is very interesting to see how that would play out yeah. i think you know i mean anytime these things come up right i mean people you pick up any of these foreign editorials right new york times of washington post or wall street journal and so on i mean you'll you'll hear these talks of the balkanization of the internet and and so on right i mean or or nationalization or what have you but i think it's just a matter of protecting sovereignty you know yeah. if you are operating in a geography i mean you have to respect the laws of that country and this very you know laissez faire notion of okay you know what the world is my market and sort of libertarian yeah. notions of you know operating without rules and stuff i mean it, it doesn't really uh, hold water i should say so every country should do what's in its interest and uh, yeah i mean indonesia has done that basically mm. and we'll be talking about google launching street view in india after being banned for 6 years and i think we'll be touching upon these topic as well so stay tuned folks if you haven't already don't forget to like this video and share it on your social media platforms because this really helps make all the spotify apple and youtube algorithms happy so more people like you can discover our content all right so uh, moving on to news closer to home the one year lock in period for anchor investors in zomato ended and as a result on last tuesday zomato shares touched an all time low of rupees 41.20 a piece during the intraday trading so the stock has tanked 75% from its all time high of rupees 169.10 rupees per share but what was interesting was that venture capital firm more strategic ventures they have also exited its entire holding of 4.25 crore shares in the company at rupees 44 a piece now that is a lot of loss experts expect that more pre ipo investors of the company will sell off their holdings even as zomato's market capitalization has fallen way below its last valuation which was given by the private markets and that was i think close to 5.5 billion dollars these are really troubled times for zomato and with that there's so much more going on as we've been seeing they've acquired blinkit which is another loss making company but we'll talk about that but what's your entire opinion on how zomato shares are performing in the market see let me preface this by saying that i love zomato i've often said that 
you know they're one of those pioneers and very few of the businesses that started in that era are still surviving and thriving again i mean i really respect deepinder as a founder and ceo he's been fantastic really admire both of them right the founder and the company having said that i think this is an important lesson to startups about how the ipo market works and if you're going to jack up valuations by two times just before an ipo and expect to dump all of this on retail investors i'm not saying zomato did that but i'm just saying that if you were to do that this is likely what's going to happen right i mean i IPOs have a long enough time period and somehow you know value catches up Zomato I think was at 140 150 at its peak right 169 169 wow and it's down to like 40 right now which is 75% less <laughs> i don't know i mean but there were a couple of things which were riding on Zomato's favor right they were the first movers right they had their infrastructure no, all of that is great right see rakesh jinjunwala always says right i mean that what i buy is important but at what price i buy is even more important and i don't know if you subscribe to that school of thought but it definitely has some merit right i love zomato but did i think that it was worth 40000 crores at that time i don't think so right not a snowball chance in hell even with the massive headroom that we had for growth and you know the way their their business was growing and stuff i mean there were some troubling signs right i mean their order value had stagnated they were continuing to make a lot of losses and there was some competition from swiggy and the likes again that pricing and valuation is an important thing right i mean you can't uh, you know you, you can't just sock it to people right yeah. i mean interestingly last week or couple of weeks back jeffries came up with a buy recommendation for zomato and you know ashwath damodaran had a a fantastic yeah. thread incidentally he called the zomato price he had right? predicted that it would you yeah. know stabilize around 41 rupees a piece 41 but he also said that paytm will be worth <laughs> 2000 bucks right and paytm is trading at i think 500 or 600 rupees yeah. now and the guy was really graceful about it also right i mean he's definitely check out his episode on inflation with invest like the best i think that's what it's called fantastic fantastic podcast i mean whether you like him for his valuations or not i think that inflation episode is amazing so he's a great guy but yeah i mean he had basically said that if you really thought that zomato was great at you know 140 or even at the price that they listed right what was it 70 bucks or something mm, 72 72 or whatever then i mean now it should be discount season for you right i mean it's it's exactly. at down to 41 you should be buying up more but then i mean if you were just trying to play momentum at that time and thought that you were going to hold for a while i mean then too bad right i mean you can blame the investment bankers and uh, the founders and you know the influencers and all of that but really who's the greedy one out here exactly. i mean it's it's really you right and sandeep parekh who is you know an amazing lawyer all round really funny chap on twitter he had posted a long enough thread sometime back about how investment bankers should not be blamed on for some of these things right i mean forgetting the valuations wrong and i think net net what he was trying to say is look it's it's an art and a science right and and it's definitely not something which is very definite and precise Correct. to get right right 100% agree with him on that front but i do believe that you know this sort of myth making also is a reality right i mean uh, you know zomato being valued at 40000 crores was myth making at its finest and i don't think you know too many people bought that really you know yeah. and uh, you're going to see more of this happen now that you know the year one year period is done right a lot more people are going to sell off incidentally zomato has offered these shares to em- employees as well at this price now again that calls into question right i mean if you think that offering shares at this price is right then you probably did you, you know people wrong when you offered it at like yeah. three times the price right or four times the price it's a hairy situation i would say one that shows startups that have to focus on value ipo markets are brutal right and it's going to be screwed for maybe you know another 6 months one year whatever it is right and there are you know companies that are planning to list in the next 18 months or so 
Uh, this is a useful lesson to them, really, that yeah. you can't game the public markets. Retail mar- retail investors are not dumb. There is uh, absolutely no asymmetry in information. Everyone has the same amount of information, roughly, give or take, right? So, so you can't sock it to people, you know. It's going to catch up. And uh, if you are going to list in the public markets, then you have to, have to, have to have a sense of running, you know, a business prudently over a quarter-on-quarter period. Like Zomato's acquisition of Blinkit, for example, right? Sure, you can make the case that, you know, the delivery fleet is shared, the technology is shared, right? Maybe, I mean, it'll help them increase their order value, all of that. But when you're losing money yeah. hand over fist... And Blinkit was also not making profit at that point. Not even profits. I mean, it's it's just the worst time to kind of choose that play, right? And, and, the, I, and the public markets will seek a level of prudency from founders that they might not have been used to, right? I mean, hmm. rather than answer to, you know, five people or six people in a board, right now they're having to answer to thousands of investors who might make a call saying that, hey, you know what, these guys don't have it together and we're, we're, going, to, we're going to sell, right? You can also look at it differently. This was the first tech company that went IPO, right? And also the market conditions during that time was very different. There was a lot of risk capital in the market and there was a lot of people optimistic about the economic growth that India was moving towards, right? But no, these see, people are still optimistic about India's economic growth, for sure. No, but and those conditions have changed. Yeah, those conditions have changed, right? I mean, 2021 was, like I've said, it's a glorious exception, right? I think we have to reset our expectations in terms of how markets will behave or how businesses will function and so on, right? For sure. But even so, right, the Zomato Blinket thing happened, what, two months back? Three months back? Yeah. And I think it was post-correction, if I'm not mistaken. Yes, yes, yeah. So, yeah, I mean, it's difficult times ahead. But I only hope that, you know, other startups learn the lesson and figure a more prudent way of running their business, I feel. But yeah. all the best to the Zomato team. I feel that, you know, it is Lindy to an extent, right? I mean, they've survived 12 years. I feel that they will survive another 12, 14, 15, 20 years maybe. It's just they're at a corner in their journey right now and they have to get out of it. Alright, so last week also, uh, Prime Minister Modi laid the foundation stone to the headquarters of building of the International Financial Services Centres Authority in Gandhinagar. PM Modi also launched the India International Boolean Exchange and NSC, IFSC, SGX Connect. IIBX will be bringing uh, greater transparency to the market of precious metals and is also likely to standardize gold prices across the country, making it easier for smaller Boolean dealers and jewelers to trade. There are also several other announcements regarding the milestones related to the IFSC which were instituted under the regulatory initiatives of this. There is the MOU by IFSCA with the regulatory authorities in Sweden Luxembourg, Qatar and Singapore to strengthen inter-regulatory cooperation. There's an MOU with the Department of Space to explore possibilities of convergence between fintech and space tech. And further, there are other announcements of setting up the India Regional Office to identify projects with strong developmental impact and assist the government institutions in capacity building. Now, that's a lot of new things happening and especially the IIBX and the IFSC SGX Connect. These things seem pretty interesting. Yeah, for sure. I mean, the bullion exchange uh, in particular, right? I mean, India owns, you know, uh, perhaps the second largest uh, uh, reserves of gold. Indian women love gold, right? I mean, we have something like 25,000 tons of gold. And, uh, you know, we bought something like 1,000 tons of gold just in 2021 alone, which was almost two times or perhaps more than that uh, compared to the previous year. Considering how gold prices have been moving right Mm. now, right? Given the uncertainty in the markets and everything. But this gold also is not financialized. It's not as easy to buy, sell and trade gold. And this bullion exchange will uh, kind of facilitate that. And it can be a huge economic leverage for us. 
for sure so i think it's a step in the right direction in that sense and the exchange with you know with nifty and the singapore exchange as well right i mean it's it's very interesting because there were some disputes going back 3 4 years in terms of singapore having a few of these indices that tracked nifty because the market there opens 2 hours earlier than ours they could adversely sort of in, in, you know influence our markets as well right so and there was some back and forth and so on but now i think they've uh, decided to sort of pull in that liquidity yeah. and routed on a common system which is what they've done so again very nice solution via policy and regulation not through some you know long drawn <laughs> arbitrage of sorts very very good stuff you know and uh, the gift city uh, gujarat international finance tech city came up in 2007 2008 when you know there was a as the prime minister mentioned there was a bit of a policy crisis right because the the whole world was in churn at that time because of the global financial crisis and so on you know to have conceived it at that time and then you know what has happened since is really remarkable so yeah i mean this is very exciting development for sure all right so i think it was the last round of where we were talking about how you know the water of iit madras is might be different right considering sort of innovations they produce last week iit madras launched the nilekani center at ai for bharat to promote indian language technology this was the initiative of itm to build open source language ai for indian languages so the whole idea is to energize the ecosystem to do more for the indian languages and all the research data will be available for startups and other industry working on indian language technology this data can be accessed through the official website and would include data sets tools and pre-trained models being developed at the center and also we we discussed uh, the progress that the government is making with platforms like bhashani right and i think stuff like this really ties in well together to not only promote indian languages but also the new cohort of uh, startups which are actually working on rural uh, tier 2 tier 3 cities and rural india yeah no for sure i think this is a phenomenal initiative right and more people should work on this stuff right and mr nilekani i have said this right i want to record that i think he will get a bharat ratna at some point of time right i mean the way he is don't jinx it, it. Uh, not trying <laughs> to but yeah he is fantastic and uh, you know language should not be a barrier for technology or access right i mean it should be very inclusive and at this point i think it's very english driven still so i'm really excited about fundamental technology like this right that can enable people to create stuff so this basically what i understand is they're creating all of these data sets and libraries and so on so that it makes it easier for people to develop local language applications and so on and given you know we're at 600 million internet users going to be 900 by 2025 a lot of non english speakers will get on the internet right and now what is their experience of the internet will be drastically different from you or me right? right and so i mean investing in this kind of fundamental innovation will really really help also the ministry of rural development had implemented a number of policies right and particularly for fintechs that are actively changing the entire rural india technology landscape digital transactions are on the rise mobile connectivity is available in every nook and cranny and a number of small business owners are able to act as bankers for their community but the priorities have been domestic money transfer service aadhar enabled payment service mini atms and other services to serve and make up for the lack of banks or atm branches in some locations while the government has launched the jam trinity which is the janthan yojana aadhar and mobile number to bring the rural population under a formal banking system 
the problem to access to basic banking infrastructure in rural India is still pertinent. But now there has been the introduction of various financial inclusion programs by the government including the Jandan 3.0 that will focus on doorstep banking and digital financial products. And digital financial products is helping to boost the financial ecosystem for rural India by creating a shift from cash to digital transactions. Now while most companies are focusing on basic banking and payment solutions at present, now is the time to introduce more customized solutions in terms of savings, insurance and credit products and we have been seeing that the number of startups especially in the early stage and early to growth stage innovating in this space so what are some of the few startups which you are very optimistic about we've spoken to spice money right uh, dilip modi who's yeah. the founder and uh, they're doing some fantastic stuff uh, they're again doing this sort of a mobile atm kind of a service and then layering financial services over that right i think you know payments are the tip of the sphere in any of the domains right and and especially in rural fintech i mean really there's just such a long way to go i don't know if a lot of you remember the sahara a chit fund scam 10-15 years back. Things like that were done on the back of the fact that, you know, hey, India was not very financialized, right? I mean, people did not have bank There's accounts. lack of awareness also. Lack of awareness, lack of bank accounts and so on. So, you know, 2014 when Jandan Yojana was announced, I remember a lot of people like just laughing, saying that, hey, you know, what will these people do with bank accounts? They need cash. And then, you know, you had these uh, stories saying that, you know, all of these accounts have zero money and everything. You look at it over the years, I mean, all yeah. of these accounts have steadily grown in terms of the amount of money that they have and transactions and so on, right? I mean, today, you know, enabled by that whole ecosystem, whether it's Jandan or Rupee, UPI and so on, there's a whole bunch of people who have come in under the formal economy, you know, and that's a massive, massive thing really for a country, the scale and complexity of India. This is really massive. And so I'm really looking forward to the next level of financial services for rural India, right? Look at, you know, how much of healthcare medical bills are paid out through insurance. Again, very, very small amount. Insurance penetration in India is ridiculously low, probably 10-15%. So which means that, you know, there's just a whole lot of runway in terms of you know, what can be achieved. And, and I really hope that, you know, the regulators work with these startups to kind of enable solutions for the last mile. Now, even if you look at for rural India, right, the, the most well-known type of startups would be startups operating in the agri-tech space. And even companies like Farmart, Farmagri, these guys also are not only optimizing the whole uh, supply chain of agricultural produce, but also acting as lenders to provide, you know, seasonal credit to farmers to enhance their cash flow. Yeah, for sure. I mean, financing is a major, major need in these places, right? And if you're not under the formal economy, then, you know, accessing credit also is that much difficult. So you're going to see a lot of these alternate financing that we spoke about, you know, where people are doing uh, credit checks based on transactions and so on, right? And, and not just the conventional way of like looking at your collateral and seeing how much land you have or how much money right. or gold you have and then giving you a loan. So yeah, it's really, I mean, the tip of the sphere and I think you know, there's just a long, long way ahead on that road. Yeah. All right. So quick question. Do you know how many space tech startups are there in India that are registered to ISRO? Registered with ISRO. About 100? No, don't be that optimistic. <laughs> <laughs> no, but uh, as of July 11th, there are around 60 startups that have registered with ISRO since the unlocking of the Indian space sector. India space sector startups are looking forward to the new space policy for easier access to finance and clarity on issues related to liability in case of untoward incidences. There are a lot of incentives as well, such as soft loans, tax holidays, production linked incentives. And these things are also very critical as you know, the space ecosystem in India is growing, right? 
It was only last year, I think, or this year when they announced that private players can access ISRO's uh, resources yeah. for research and testing. No, it's critical for any kind of ecosystem to develop. I think money has to flow in the ecosystem. And for that, you know, regulation has to be very clear, right? Because a lot of these investments will also be very, very CapEx heavy, right? I mean, yeah. we're talking about space and hardware and things like that. ISRO has been very, very helpful lending its facilities for use by, you know, plenty of these startups, right? Yeah. Whether it's yeah, or whoever, Pixel and so yeah. on. And and that certainly helps. A positive sign on the regulatory front will help investors as well gain that confidence that you know they can put their money in the sector and invest in the long term. Because again, all of these are long term investments, right? I mean, it's going to take time, maybe yeah. five, eight, ten years for things to like really bear fruit, right? So we've seen, for example, the Indian Space Association that was formed maybe a year back or so. So I think this whole commercialization of space is a very, very important aspect because I think the newer frontier is is space, obviously, right? So really looking forward to some regulatory clarity so that you know startups can figure you know what's the best way to operate and investors can again you know fund these startups as well also uh, last week google has relaunched uh, street view in india after more than a decade after it was first rolled out in apac but this is also after being banned for six years in the country and of course this ban came from security point of view right there were a couple of military installations in india which would have been otherwise been picked up by a foreign entity what's different this time is google has partnered with local giants uh, genesis and TechMinder to relaunch the service and it is now available in 10 Indian cities. By the end of the year, probably this will be rolled out to 50 odd cities in the country. India's geospatial policy, which was unveiled last year, really helped Google to relaunch this, right? Now, what this allows is that local entities to do the data collection to a certain level of fidelity. And these companies will also be owning the data they collect, but then they can license it out to entities like Google. Yeah. See, what you're seeing with a lot of these policy uh, recommendations, suggestions, and also laws is basically that we're becoming a more mature economy, more mature country, right? I mean, because see, India's favorite policy mode was to ban things, right? And I, I think even now we have the temptation. I mean, we don't understand something, we'll, we'll seek to ban it, right? I mean, you look at crypto or whatever else. But I think, you know, I mean, offering that clarity on regulation in terms of what to do, what not to do, I think is really, really important. Personally, I'm not a huge fan of Street View and the likes, right? Because even though Google is a multinational entity, you cannot rule out the amount of pressure that the US can exert on Google, right? And we've seen them also. Yeah. I mean, they've they've shared, you know, Big Tech has shared data with the, the US government over the years and will continue to do so. so look right? at Cambridge so, Analytica for that yeah. matter. So we have to be careful about, you know, how much of uh, our data they can take, right? And and to that end, I think the data protection bill is also is really important. We've mentioned that more than a few times here. But the main thing is, I think there should be regulatory clarity in terms of what to do, what not to do. Because both from a startup perspective and from a government perspective, you know, this operating with loopholes Right is not the best thing. So on that front, I hope that we'll see a little more, uh, you know, clarity. Right. Let's round up the various funding activity that went on last week. Rural fintech startup Jai Kisan raised fifty million dollars from GMO Venture Partners, Yara Growth Ventures, DG Daiwa, and others. Content sharing app SuperShare has raised six point five million dollars from Leaky Groom, Axel India, Lightspeed, Tanmay Bhakt, and MyPath. And uh, e-commerce startup Chattywow raised over $5 million from Vertex Ventures, InfoEdge Ventures, Seven Square Ventures and Angel Investors. Anything you'd like to add to this? It's, uh, you know, interesting. We mentioned the need for credit and uh, Jay Kisan seems to be doing something similar, right? A new bank for rural India and layering BNPL and all of those things over that. Again, you know, Chatty Bao seems interesting as well, enabling merchants through WhatsApp, which is, of course, ubiquitous in India, mm -hmm. right? Yeah. 
definitely interesting stuff so uh, kushal bhagia who is the former ceo of first check and right now i think has started a new all in capital all in capital venture fund he has put out a very interesting tweet it reads until you actually run a business in india it's very hard to understand how much of an entrepreneur's time here goes in just making sure that they are compliant with all laws and are paying each tax correctly and on time and india goes out of its way to make this a struggle yeah i mean i could not agree more and i think the the tweet also struck a chord with plenty of people i mean it has some 2 and 1/2000 uh, retweets plenty and plenty of people replying with their own stories of horror stories of you know how regulation and compliance is right i mean i heard someone saying that you know the fire department says that you need to have two exits and some other department says that you need to have one exit in a restaurant and uh, so i mean invariably you end up bribing <laughs> one of them one yeah. of those uh, to function right see i think this whole sort of a mindset is from a archaic era right where they thought businessmen chore hai communist sort of a socialist uh, hangover that we have it's not easy to get rid of even though you know plenty of things have happened over the last 8 10 years it's definitely not easy to get rid of and it's a work in progress i did a podcast sometime back with uh, you know rishi agarwal of avantis regtech so they specialize in regulation and compliance and you know some of the stuff that he told me just blew my mind away right i mean in terms of how much of specifications you have you know if you're running a canteen the way it has to be cleaned mm-hmm. right or who to employ how and so on and so forth unfortunately the farm laws didn't go through and you know the labor laws are the next in line and i hope that people don't like i mean we're able to pass that regulation and people don't like block that right because i think that's absolutely necessary right the ability for people to you know operate in a more conducive environment so yeah i mean kushal has done a great job of like sort of bringing this to the limelight again and really hope that you know uh, people in the government take notice of this because it's very difficult you know and this is also why i mean you have a whole cottage industry of chartered accountants right i mean yeah. but talking about chartered accountants i mean we had to file a I, uh, it returns right and i thought i would do it by myself for the first time and like just to like learn you won't believe it took me two and a half hours to file it and i i i would say my it is in the pretty basic but still two and a half hours just to know what is formed 26 qs 26 a 26 i don't know what other alphabets of the so i gave up on this <laughs> long 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 back right i always say that in life i think you should know a doctor a lawyer and a chartered accountant like be very good friends with them i think your life is taken care of yeah. uh, and so i have my boy shankar with me so <laughs> shankar if you're listening thanks so much for helping me out through the years awesome So that's all for this week folks with that we bring July to an end if you haven't already liked this video please do like it makes the algorithms happy and helps folks like you to discover our content if you'd like to reach out to us you can do so through our website it's www.startupoperator.in also our social media handles on twitter we are at operator startup and on linkedin we are the startup operator do drop in a comment and let us know how we are doing and if you really really like us you can also leave a review on your favorite podcast platform until then have a great week Actually, not just really 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 like us even if you really like us you can rate and review <laughs> us on your favorite uh, podcast platforms that would really help us awesome guys uh, that's all then we'll see you again next week with some more exciting news thanks everyone have a great week ahead